You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. All right, this is going to be a longer than average scripture reading, so you guys may be seated. We're going to be reading... Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 40. And bear with me as I read this. (laughs) These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn may not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts, in the mountains, in dens and the caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. This is the reading of God, or the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we're going to dismiss ages two through five and grades four through five. Well, good morning. What a text, right? Um, I had a lighthearted conversation with my oldest child yesterday. She said something to the effect of, hey, Dad, the great Hall of Faith passage of Hebrews 11 tomorrow, huh? I'm like, yep, don't mess it up. (laughs) Thanks, honey. (laughs) Not planning to, I don't think. Um. But it is a, a passage in the Bible that most Christians are familiar with. Um, and so we're going to tackle it today. Uh, a little bit, I have the same feeling as I had last week with, with Hebrews 10, which is there's a, a lot that's going to go unaddressed. Sometimes that's just the nature of preaching. Um, so you, you try to balance, you know, what do you address and, you know, what do you address in other mediums? So, for example, myself, I've determined that myself, Logan, and, and Dean, we're actually going to do a, a podcast. We got it on, on the calendar specifically on Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 6, those chapters that talk about apostasy. Just realizing, acknowledging there's a lot that was, uh, went unsaid, and uh, we hope to f- kind of draw that out even more for you if you choose to kind of circle back and be like, okay, he preached this, I've been seeing this, you know, what else can I learn from God's word regarding this particular topic? So just an FYI, that's, that's kind of coming down the pike. I'm not uh, unaware of, you know, what else is left to be said regarding um, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 11. So uh, that's on my mind. So with that said, let me pray, ask for God's help, and then uh, we'll get into it this morning. Heavenly Father, as we think well about faith. We want to look at these great heroes of the faith and be encouraged this morning. As we look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab. Think about Samson, David. These very flawed men, very flawed men, just as we're flawed, O oh God, but they had faith. You'd given them the gift of faith, just as you've given many of us the gift of faith. So in the power of the Spirit, we want to be spurred on in the faith. And Lord, help me to preach faithfully. And I pray for my friends that are in front of me. I trust that you'd be at work in their 
heart and in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We read in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved, you all know it, through faith. And this is not of your own doing. This is not of your own doing. As much as we want to think it is of our own doing. But it is a gift from who? God. By grace you have been saved through faith. And it is by faith that you need to continue to live. I may have counted wrong, but faith is connected to an action at least 14 times in Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 40. Connected to an action. After defining faith in verses 1 to 3, the author of Hebrews encourages the recipients of this letter. And now, God's word encourages us from this letter to put faith into action. It is not enough to define faith, although that is important. But faith must be lived out. A few months ago, I was at the gym, and most, one of the most random things right happened. This guy, never, never knew him, never seen him before. He just kind of looked at me and said, hey, man, great cowboy boots. <laughs> and as most of you know, I like my cowboy boots. And I'm never, um, I'm always willing to engage in a conversation. Uh, this fellow continued to tell me that he had a, like a, a pair of high-quality cowboy boots. And I simply asked him, well, do you like them? And this gentleman proceeded to tell me, I've never worn them before. I'm too afraid of getting them dirty or scuffing them up. Like, listen, to each one their own. But if I'm going to buy something to enjoy, I'm going to put them into action. <laughs> I'm not looking to jump into the mud, but boots are made for collecting dust. Not dust in a closet, but you wear them out, right? When God gives someone the gift of faith to believe in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ, faith is thrust into action. By faith, you work your job. By faith, you parent your children. By faith, you love your spouse. By faith, you work hard at school. By faith, you interact with your siblings with love. In the book of Romans, we read, For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's, that's quite the statement. The context of this statement is to live charitably with your Christian friend. Uh, the context is do not cause your brother to stumble by eating a mound of bacon if bacon pricks his conscience. Further, if you doubt what you eat, you're not living in faith, right? But if your conscience is good with eating bacon, which I hope it is, have at it. Do it in faith. The more significant principle is that we must always live by faith because of saving faith. Faith does not cease after you are saved, but it is the fuel of the car that, again, moves us into action. So, faith is spurred into action, which I will focus on in a moment. But there's another aspect of faith that the author of Hebrews highlights for us. 
if God gives you saving faith, you are to live by faith and you are to die in faith. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 13 is a door that swings open to the previous verses and sets up what follows, which we're going to see here in a moment. But here's the point I want you to see right now. You all are going to die. You're going to die. What was the saying goes, two things are sure in life, taxes and death, right? I mean, if we all could have a sobering moment together, the question is not, will I die? The question is, how will you die? How will I die? Will you die hopeless and if, with an empty heart? Will you die le- living for this world and for the things of this world? Or will you live and believe in such a way that your death is not the end, but the beginning. In light of what we see in Hebrews 11, the question that might be asked from some of you is, Pastor Sean, what does it look like to get to the point where I die in faith? Like, what does it look like to even get there? That's a re- actually a really good question, which the remainder of Hebrews 11 answers for us this morning. I don't, I'm 42, coming up on 43. Probably lived close to half my life. How do I want to die? I mean, the other question that's going to pop up from this text is, what do I want to leave behind? I mean, it's, it's sobering, right? But it should be, and it shouldn't be ignored. How am I going to die? Before dialing into the details, I need to back up and remind you how we got to Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. Um, because Ryan really wanted to preach Hebrews on Hebrews 11, and because of a few adjustments in the preaching calendar, Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 12, was preached back in November. Um, so we went out of order. Uh, that is not the norm around here. But if you want to learn more about Hebrews 11, I have good news. The internet is forever. And you can listen or watch that sermon on the church website. Here's how Ryan defined faith, which will propel us forward into the rest of Hebrews 11. I got it on the screen for you. Saving faith is more than just belief. You already heard that out of my mouth this morning. It is a hope rooted in the knowledge of the character of God, which seeks God's favor through trust and obedience and looks forward to God fulfilling his promises and rewarding us with the gift of himself. I think that's a solid definition. And as I mentioned, you can go online um, to listen to that specific sermon. There's more that Ryan said, but I think it's a good place to start. As you can tell, the theme of faith continues, but faith takes a form. Faith is not just this intellectual ascent of the knowledge of God. It's not just that, as Ryan points out. Faith is trust 
And faith is obedience, indicating that faith is put into action. For reasons I don't have time to go into, there is an approach with some sectors of Christianity that make a division between like saving faith and this active faith. It's like you have one over here and the other one over there. It doesn't work in Christianity. At the end of the day, it does not work at all. People treat Jesus as Savior, but he does not need to be obeyed as Lord. That type of thought, that type of idea needs to be rejected out of hand. The two are the same as we see in Hebrews 11. The pattern, beginning in actually in verse 4, is that the author of Hebrews introduces a biblical figure with the words, as you saw, by faith. By faith, insert person in history. And then the author of Hebrews identifies an action, obedience, and then tells us of an outcome. Oftentimes we see a positive outcome. So by faith, name the person, then we have the action, an act of obedience, and then we have this positive outcome, which is the result of faith and obedience. The repetition of Hebrews 11 is meant to cause you to nod your head so that by the time you're done reading Hebrews 11, you're like, I get it, I get it, I get it, you know? The author of Hebrews does a brilliant job of introducing the topic of faith and then pointing us to many heroes from the Old Testament who demonstrated their faith in God. Even though some of the promises given to the Old Testament saints have been fulfilled in Christ, we still need to look at their example of faith because there are additional promises that God has made that he will fulfill in Christ. So in many respects, we find ourselves in the same position as Abraham, as Moses, as Isaac and Jacob and so on. Between verses 13 and 14, 13 and 40, excuse me, we see faith is moved into action in six different ways. For you note takers, I have it on the screen behind me. First, faith is seeking a home. It'll be the first subcategory that we'll look at. Second, faith is tested. We see faith trusting in God's plan. Faith chooses God. Faith passes through and faith conquers. Now, I need to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Pastor Richard Phillips lays out Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 40, with, with these six categories. And I've used these categories, but obviously not a sermon, just the categories. But I, I found them helpful in terms of trying to diagnose the text. And I hope they help you as you consider how to put your faith into action. Number one, faith seeks a better home. Note what I am not saying and what the author of Hebrews is not saying. We are not saying that faith seeks a different home. Faith seeks a better home. Take a look at verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What is this better city? We read in Revelation 21 and 22 that it is a garden city. It's like, how do you begin to imagine that, right? The people of God are making their way back to the garden. From garden to garden. Genesis to Revelation. 
God is preparing an eternal home for his people. Before Adam, our federal head, before he had sinned, consider what the garden, the Garden of Eden, represented. The Garden of Eden is a place that God called good. It is a place that God blessed. It was a place where God walked with Adam and Eve. It is the preeminent place where God dwelled with his people. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle and later the temple mirrored the garden. They were physical representations of God dwelling with his people. They were limited representations, which is one of the points that the author of Hebrews makes earlier in this book. Christ is greater than the tabernacle and the temple. Through faith in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, God now dwells with his people personally. Many Christians are content with my last point. By faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit, God dwells in you. I'm going to say something that may be a touch jarring. Christians should not settle with my last point. It's a a fantastic point. It's a true point. But we don't settle with that point. Hebrews 11 verses 13 to 16 tells us that there is more to come for the people of God. Yes, we celebrate faith in Christ in the present while we look forward to the promises God will fulfill in the future. Like we can celebrate that as well. God has prepared a heavenly city where we will one day dwell just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. I, I don't have a great memory um, but there are a few days I, I will never forget. I'll not forget the day I proposed to my wife, Sharice. I asked her to marry me. The engagement ring symbolized the promise that I was making to her. I'm going to give you this ring, and I promised I'm going to walk down that aisle in the future and say, I do. 17 years later, here we are. My example of a promised fulfilled actually fails on this point in terms of comparing it to what we see in Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16. In her lifetime, Sharice was able to see the fulfillment of the promise that I made with her. Faith in God is willing to live, face death, and believe that God is still going to fulfill his promises. Faith in Christ knows there is a future home. A part of living by faith in the present is anticipating what will come. I think this first point can be so hard for us. We tend to trust the things that are right in front of us, the things we can tangibly touch and feel things that we can logically make sense in our head, two plus two equals four, or whatever else have you. That's why faith in Christ, and Christ is the object of our faith, is so critical. Because that helps us to see, oh, oh, there's so much more. There's so much more that I've been told about. 
but I can't necessarily touch with my hands or see with my eyes. But because God is faithful, he will fulfill his promises. Those truths need to go deep into our heart. So an act of faith in the present is influenced by the knowledge that God is going to usher us back into the garden, this garden city that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22. The second way faith is put into action is that it is tested. The example given in verses 17 and 19 is the faith of Abraham. His faith was tested when the Lord told him, I've tried to wrap my mind around this earlier. I was talking to Pastor Rob about this. The Lord told him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. What? What's that all about? The story takes us back to Genesis 22. Now let's pause for a moment and acknowledge an uncomfortable reality. Abraham was asked to perform a child sacrifice. At least that is how our modern day sensibilities read the situation. Like if we're really being honest, like, whoa, what is that all about? However, if that is all you see in Genesis 22, then you miss the point. Actually, the the intensity of the father, Abraham, potentially sacrificing his son, the promised son, The promised son helps us to see a faith that is tested. By faith, what did Abraham believe about God in this situation? This is amazing to me. Read verse 19. Abraham considered that God was was able even to raise him from the dead. Like in the moment, he's not worried about whether his son Isaac is going to live because he knows the power of God. God told Abraham that through his offspring, through his seed, the people of God would emerge. It was faith in that initial promise that allowed him to have faith when he was tested. Listen, I'm not like advocating child sacrifice or anything like that. But I am advocating that when your faith is tested, you should believe that God can raise the dead. That's what I'm advocating. I mean, your faith is tested every day. At least it seems my faith is tested every day. When you're tested, that means you're faced with choices. And frequently, your options are actually probably simpler than we make make the choices out to be. Like, by faith, are you going to follow God? By faith, do you trust in his laws and commands? And do you believe in his promises? Or do you have a different kind of faith in something or someone else? When you are tested, do you trust yourself more than God? When your faith is tested, do you trust the wisdom of the world or do you trust the wisdom of God's word? I think this is a generally true statement. The allegiance, character, and virtue of a person are revealed when they are tested. 
when Abraham's faith was tested, what was revealed? His allegiance belonged to God. His character had been shaped by God. He knew that at the end of the day, God was going to fulfill his promise. That's what he knew. Faith is tested. But Lord willing, when faith is tested, we respond with trust. Chronologically, the author of Hebrews tells us about the faith of the Old Testament saints, which is why he easily pivots from Abraham to Isaac in verse 20. In Abraham, we see a faith that is tested. In Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, we see a faith that trusts in God's plan. Verses 20 to 22, I think some may treat as throwaway verses because we really don't know what's going on in light of the whole of chapter 11, but they're not throwaway verses. Let me read them. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. I had a lot of fun when I came to this section of Hebrews 11. The author of Hebrews is really testing your Bible knowledge at this point. How can we seamlessly move from Abraham to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph? What's going on here? How are they connected, right? In Genesis 27, you read the words of the blessing from Isaac to his son Jacob. In Genesis 48, you read the words of Jacob's blessing over the sons of Joseph. In Genesis 50, you read the words used by Joseph to his brothers. And they're all, they're all thematically connected. I don't have time to address all those passages, but the words of Joseph, Joseph help us to see the thread that holds everything together. Here's Genesis 50, verses 24 to 26. And Joseph said to his brothers, hey, I'm about to die. He's an old man at this point. I'm about to die, but God will visit you and you will bring, and you bring up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, this is right here I want you to see, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died. Being 110 years old, they embalmed him and he was put into a coffin where? In Egypt. You will recall that Joseph was second in command at this point in Egypt. Due to a famine, God's people relocated to Goshen, where Joseph would be able to care for his family. But Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph believed God would someday give Israel the promised land. Joseph is so sure that God will deliver on his promises that he says, hey, when the time comes, when the time comes, take my bones that you put into a coffin in Egypt and carry them to the promised land and rebury me there. Like, who thinks like that? person who believes in the promises of God. 
here's what's remarkable. When Moses led the people, the people of God, out of slavery in Egypt, what did he do? He took the bones of Joseph with him. That's Exodus 13, verse 19. Like, go get the bones. Of, <laughs> he's been dead for a while, but we're going to go get his bones. Or it's coming with us, guys. But here's the deal. Moses never entered the promised land. You get to the end of Deuteronomy, and you're like, of all people who would seemingly deserve to enter the promised land, surely it's Moses. Nope. It was the next generation. Moses never entered. It was the generation after him that would finally see God's promises fulfilled. And what do we read at the end of the book of Joshua? And I quote, As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought from Egypt. Like, I want to know who's in charge of that job. They buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. Shechem is north of Jerusalem on the way to Galilee. Talk about exercising faith in God's plan, and promise. If there's a second point we need to learn from our patriarchs, it is that God's plan unfolds over generations. Like, one of the most amazing invention in the last 20 years is like the Instapot. <laughs> there was some stuff in, you know, big chunk of frozen meat. And then 20, 30 minutes, boom, you got your meal. But what does that tell us about us? We generally want things immediately, now. And faith says, no, 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 no. That is not how this works. Faith is willing to wait for God's plan to unfold. Like I said earlier, we find ourselves in a similar position to Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, and Joseph. Like C.1. We are called to exercise faith that waits on a future home, a future garden city. Until then, you will likely die and your bones will be buried into the ground. But there will be a day when your bones will be taken to your new home. I don't know about you, but I find the connection between us and our patriarchs remarkable. As the saying goes, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph trusted in God's plan, and we, church, must also trust in God's plan. Okay, that was point number three. If you're a note taker, here's a quick review of the first three points. Faith seeking a home. Faith is tested. Faith trusts in God's plan. The fourth way we see faith at work is that it chooses God. Logically, Moses is the next example. Take a look at Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated, the choice he made to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Where was his eye focused? 
in God's providence, Moses found himself in an advantageous situation. He was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, which meant Moses had the opportunity to live, frankly, the luxurious life of privilege, right? However, when faced with a choice, he believed that the promises and rewards from God were of greater wealth. He believed that the things that he could not yet touch or see are better than the things he could touch and see. The contemporary uh, application of what we see from Moses, I think is pretty unmistakable. As a follower of Jesus Christ, are you willing to give up everything because you believe in the promises of God? Like when tested, like what's your response? I'm not going to give all the details. But this, ha- this literally happened, which is why I love this church. Something came up. Um, there was a conversation that someone needed financial help, and we were, we were all right here praying, right? And all of a sudden, several people were like, here's my money, without even thinking. We can help. Here's some cash. It's God's anyways. There's a greater reward than the cash that's in your pocket. Do you believe that one day you will inherit a land when you are with Christ? Do you allow the promises of God to inform your faith in the present? Further, as we see with the example of Moses, are you willing to be looked down upon with such disdain because of Christ. I know that Romans uh, 12, 18 calls Christians to live peaceably among all men. Yes and amen, absolutely. But we know that's not always the case. Holy Scripture is very clear that the people of God are persecuted. I believe that the easy believism of the previous generation is coming to an end. If not, it's already ended. It seems that by faith, Choosing God is being tested with more pressure and frequency. And the question is, will you choose God? As we see with Moses, will you choose God over luxury? Will you choose God or the easy way out? Will you choose God or do you want to be liked? Will you choose God? Faith always chooses God. Point five. Faith passes through, verses 27 to 29. What do I mean when I say faith passes through? Verses 27 to 29 are a reference to Israel's journey out of Egypt and to the promised land. It took faith for Moses to stand up to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, right? And lead the people of God out of Egypt, verse 27. It took faith to trust that God would pass over the homes which had the blood of a lamb placed over the doorpost, verse 28. By faith, the people of God walked through the Red Sea, trusting that God would not collapse the water upon them. Like I want to go back to that moment. As you're walking through and you're kind of maybe skittishly being like, I hope the walls of water (laughs) are maintained, right? Take faith to walk through that. One of the points the author of Hebrews is making is that between now and eternity, you are walking out God's providential journey for your life. 
your journeys to be walked out by faith in God. On your journey, you need to trust in God to part the water. You need to trust in God to multiply the loaves and wine. You need to trust in God to heal the blind and cause the leper to walk. An act of faith requires trusting in an active God. Maybe, maybe this is like the heart check question. Do you still believe God can do those things? Right? The fifth point uh, about faith naturally leads to the sixth point. By faith, the people of God conquer. I won't read all of verses 30 to 40, so let's just look at verses 32 to 35. And what more shall I say? And it's like, at this point in Hebrews, you're just kind of like, I got the point. (laughs) He's like, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jepheth, and of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, just kind of throwing all the prophets in, who through faith, look at it, conquered kingdoms, enforced God's standard of justice, Obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35, man. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Like The author of Hebrews is just like, he just went and Googled, Amazing works of God. (laughs) And just kind of listed them out. I mean, I would remiss if I didn't mention Joshua previously or Rahab in verse 31. Remember what I said at the beginning of this sermon. God calls you to do all things by faith, including being used by God as vice regents here on earth. What I mean by vice regents is that God has entrusted his people to act on his behalf in his created world. By faith, the people of God, for God, conquer. Now, when I say that the people of God are to conquer by faith, one particular thought comes up, right? This is what I'm, where I'm not going. That's the prosperity gospel. The pros- Logan and I just did a podcast on this yesterday. The prosperity gospel like names it and claims it. The prosperity gospel says Bible-believing Christians have a divine right to health and wealth, which is baloney. Malarkey. Pick your word. Here's the deal. That's not true. All that is a lie. The prosperity gospel is a perversion of the true gospel because it looks to the self for glory and fosters false faith. Under the prosperity gospel, conquering happens for the sake of man. What we see with all the examples in Hebrews 11, verses 30 to 40, is that God uses his people, why? For his glory, so that he may be glorified, so that his power and might might be seen on the earth. God uses his people to push forward his divine plan of redemption. The people of God Respond for God's glory. God can name and claim whatever he wants, but you and me humbly serve God 
in his kingdom. If God calls me to slay a dragon, calls you to slay a dragon, you slay that dragon for the honor and glory of God. I slay that dragon knowing it is part of God's divine plan. Might not understand all the details. When I'm done slaying that dragon, I put down the sword, or you put down the sword, and pray with a heart of gratitude to the one who chooses to use you for his glory. A conquering faith trusts that God is using his people, the church, to bring about Christ-centered change in our homes and communities as the gospel spreads throughout our homes and communities. A person who conquers by faith is not sitting on his hands, but is up and active so that Christ may be magnified in all places. Go back and look at verse 33. Look at how God uses his image bearers, his vice regents. Kingdoms were conquered. God's standard of justice was enforced. The mouths of lions were stopped. That's Samson. The dead were raised to life. That's first. Kings 17 with the prophet Elijah. Uh, There's a segment of American evangelicalism that believes, or at the very least functions, in such a way that the gospel only makes a spiritual difference. With all due respect, I could not disagree more. After God conquers your heart, God asks you to conquer life for your good, for the good of those around you, and for God's glory. So to review, here are the six ways you can have an active faith from Hebrews 11 verses 13 to 40. Faith seeking home, faith that is tested, faith trusts in God's plan, faith chooses God, faith passes through, and faith by faith we conquer. I will end by summarizing, I think, what we've seen from Hebrews 11 and then offer one challenge for you. Here's my quick summary. With Christ as the object of your faith, you are called by God to put your faith into action. Let me say that again. With Christ as the object of your faith, you are called by God to put your faith into action. You need to ensure that you have the proper object of your faith so that your actions rightly correspond. Here's the challenge if you choose to accept it. What area in your life is your faith in God not active? Like I posed that question to myself. What area in my life where it's like, clearly I'm not exercising faith in God. I have no thought of God, perhaps. Right? For example, do you trust God in your marriage? Do you trust God? that the forgiveness that flows from the cross of Jesus Christ flows right into your marriage and causes you to seek forgiveness for when you have sinned against your spouse. Like pursuing forgiveness when you've wronged someone is an act of faith. Do you believe that your faith in God results in the forgiveness of sins? Do you trust God perhaps in your parenting? Do you trust God for your Children, as you faithfully sow gospel seeds day in and day out. Do you trust God with your job? God has given many of you a job. 
but how are you exercising faith in what God has given you, right? When work is hectic. I don't know a person who says work isn't hectic at some point, right? Because it always seems hectic. Can you pause and remember that Christ has given you his peace? Like, that's an act of faith. Like, man, it's a crazy day. Five minutes, I have the peace of Christ. That is an act of faith. Do you trust God for your future? Allow me to ask the last question differently. Do you have faith in God that he will fulfill all of his promises? If you have faith, how does that impact your present circumstances? The opportunities to put your faith into action are endless. They're before you right now, and it'll be with you when you leave this building. So with Christ as the object of your faith, go by the grace of God, for the glory of God, and put your faith into action. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.